0: Good morning church. Good morning to the early morning service. Thank you guys for coming out and uh, this is our last uh, part in the series, Transform. Boy, I've had a good time. This is eight weeks we've been in this and uh, Uh, Thank you guys guys for tracking along and um, I hope you've been enjoying the journal and I hope you've been in a small group. If this is your first time with us, welcome. We're glad you're here and it's not too late to jump in on this. You can find a small group to to go and be a part of this week. We still have some of these journals left and so uh, you can jump out there after the service and pick one up. My name's Tim and uh, I'm the senior pastor here. Well, Today, as you can see on the title, we're going to talk about vocational health. But when we say the word vocation, uh, you may think of something different than what the actual word, the the root of the word. And that is that when you think of vocation, what do you think of? Your work, right? But see, the word vocation comes from a Latin word that means a calling. It actually has this... uh, picture of it's something that God has called you to do God is involved in it with you so your vocation might be a little different than what your job is but your vocation is the thing that gives you satisfaction because you know you're working toward that vision and that dream that God has put in your heart that may be your work I've got a roar up here Uh, just kind of bouncing back Low end deal? Yeah, yeah, that's better. And, uh, and so it could be different, you know, but it certainly, your sense of vocational calling certainly has a lot to do with how you work and your attitude. Um, Napoleon Bonaparte said that imagination rules the world. Imagination rules the world. And Albert Einstein said imagination is more important than knowledge. What we imagine for ourselves, the dreams we have, uh, the purposes that we feel like God has called us to are very important. And I'll bet you that in a group this size this morning that there are some of you who started out with dreams and something deep in your heart, a passion that you thought, well, you know what, that's really what I want to do with my life. That's what's going to give me satisfaction. And I feel like it's God's gift to me, a dream. And... uh I hope this morning as we close this series out that somehow the flame and the spark of that dream that you had, if you've lost it or if it's dying, that it'll somehow come, come back to flame again and not just a little spark, but it'll grow in your life. I do believe God places within everyone this sense of calling and that is something to do uh, that, that gives glory to God in your life. And it could be work. It could be your family. And so, you know, not, everyone, not everyone's courageous enough to even want to know what that is or, or to chase it. Or, or we get so discouraged with not having ever seen it or we've worked hard to reach it and something's always knocked us back that we just slide it to the back burner somewhere and we go, well, that was for then. Uh, now I just couldn't possibly, there's no way I could possibly live that dream out anymore. And so there are giants that stand in the pathway of our dreams and what we believe that God has called us to. Now, how do you face the giants that are threatening to rob your dreams? We're going to be over in a very uh, popular story, David and Goliath, this morning. And, uh, but I think you're going to learn some things you, you've never thought about. Over in 1 Samuel in the 17th chapter, I'm not going to read the whole text because it's like 52 verses. But I will go through each section of that story with you in your, you have a fill-in in your handout, and, and the scriptures are in there. And so as we fill those in, as we make our way through there, you'll get the whole story. Um, let me pray, and we're going to jump into this. I'm, uh, I'm expecting God to do something in all of us this morning. And so let's pray. Father, thank you for time together. Holy Spirit, you are the fuel. You're the fuel that burns within our heart. And in this room today are folks who had a dream, had a vision at one time, something very special for their life, something they felt like that they would get great enjoyment from and pleasure from because it would be fulfilling what their life was about. And, and some of them are on their way and some of them have seen it and are enjoying it. And some, some of us have just said, it's just too difficult. And so I'm asking today, God, that... Only you can do this with your spirit. You can pierce our hearts. You can pour fuel on that vision again and on that dream again. And you can bring it, bring it up in a roar before our eyes. And so I'm asking for you to come and do that for us today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to uh, recommend a book to you. This is not necessarily because I'm going to use some of the facts from this book. I read this a year ago, and then I read it again yesterday uh, just to reacquaint myself because the name of it is David and Goliath. It's by a guy named Malcolm Gladwell who wrote Tipping Point. He wrote another book called uh, Outliers, which I really like. Talked about the Beatles and some other people who got good at what they got good at because they spent so many hours doing it. It takes 10,000 hours to get good at anything, he says in his book Outliers. And uh, in this book, he starts with the story of David and Goliath. And there are some facts in here you probably uh, have never read. And then he uses case studies of sorts of people who seem to be Davids against Goliath. The story starts 3,000 years ago in the area called Palestine, Israel today. Uh, you have on the mountains up, when you go inland a ways in Israel, you have the mountains, which is where Jerusalem and Bethlehem uh, are. And then you have this valley called the Shephelah Valley that, that flows down. And there are valleys, and just it's beautiful, just absolutely beautiful. Oak trees, and it's green, and there are wheat fields. And then you get to the coastal area. And the coastal areas where Tel Aviv is now. And uh, we have these two groups. These, we have the Israelites up around the Jerusalem area and the Bethlehem area. And then we have what's called the Philistines. You ever heard of them? The Philistines, always enemies of Israel. And they live down around the area of Tel Aviv on the, the, on the Mediterranean. Now, they are originally from the island of Crete. So if you're looking at this, you're off to the left. Crete is over there. And uh, so they made their way to the coast. And uh, they have settled there, but their intentions are to take over everything. And so the Israelites are up in the edge of the mountains, and uh, that's their home. And now, where we join this, where we join this battle scene, we have the Philistines marching up from the sea, from around Tel Aviv, into this plains. And so Israel, King Saul, who happened to be the king at the time, he has scouts. He found out they were on the way up, so they rally their army. They come down. And so you have the Philistine army here and you have, you know, you have Saul and the armies of Israel here and there's the Valley of Elah in between. Beautiful place, the Valley of Elah. And so they both camp out. They both see each other. And every day they run out and shout at each other. And they yell at each other. But nobody moves. You just threaten. It's kind of humorous when you read this story because even Israel's armies, it says they do the cry of war and they run and then they sit down, you know, and they watch. And so for 40 days, they sit there and they yell at each other back and forth, and nobody moves twice a day. So you're talking about 80 jeers and, jaunts and taunts a day, you know, at each other. So uh, they're sitting there. They were like, what's going to happen? Who is going to make the first move and nobody will over a month? Well, eventually this huge man called who? Goliath steps out with another guy in front of him holding his shield. And the guy in front holding his shield kind of leads him out to a little bit of the valley. He brings him down into the valley of Elah just a little ways. And he begins to shout. And he says to Israel, send out your great man of battle and I'll take him on. And whoever wins, if I win, then you will become our servants. But if you beat me, whoever you send out, we, the Philistines, will become your servants. Now, Goliath is, depending on how you measure from here to here and how tall and big you are, is anywhere from probably seven feet tall to nine feet tall. A very big guy. Bronze helmet, tons of armor, huge sword. He has a spear where the end of it weighs 15 pounds. Just the end of it. Maybe 125 pounds of armor on him. You can imagine what a figure he he appeared to be when he walked out on that valley floor and said, just send me one of you guys. Just one of you. And uh, it was this was a kind of combat that they called single combat. And it wasn't used during these, those days. Maybe we should use it these days. But they sent, they sent out one guy and one guy, and two people fought, and then the rest of the armies took whatever happened. And they said, okay, we're, we're, we've been subdued. And so it was normal, single combat. So nobody was throwing spears at Goliath. They honored that single combat. So the story is set. And um, you know the story of David. This little kid shows up. He shows up with a care box from his dad for his three older brothers because they're in the army, and and the dad wants to know. Jesse wants to know what's going on, and so little David shows up, the the youngest in the family, and he hears this giant taunting Israel, and he goes, basically, "How long has this been going on? Why doesn't somebody take this dude on? You know, why didn't?" And of course, you can imagine the reaction. You got to read the story. Imagine the reaction from his brother. And, uh, and, and Saul, he goes to Saul, the king. Well, what you don't know through this whole story is that David has already been anointed as king of Israel, even though Saul is still the king of Israel. As a little boy, running in the background of this story is another story. And so this is all a part of it. But David, you know, Saul grabs him. And David says, let me get to him. And Saul says, man, there's no way in the world you can kill that guy. I mean, he's been a warrior his whole life. He is a master warrior. Look at him. You can't do it. And David goes, man, what are you picking on me? I'm a shepherd. I've done my dues. I know how to take care of myself. Saul says, well, let me give you some armor. I'll give you mine. Saul's a big guy. Saul's a warrior, veteran. He's been there. He puts all of his armor, which had to be amazing, onto the little boy David. David was probably five, six, five, seven. wheel, we don't know, ordinary young man, very young, and probably 145 pounds or something. And Saul is putting that armor on him, and you, David slumped down, walking like this, dragging the sword that he gave him and his shield. And David goes, this is not going to work. This just isn't going to work. So he takes it off, and he grabs what is normal to him his shepherd's staff, and his sling. And he reaches down in the valley of Eli and picks up five smooth stones and puts them in his pouch. And he goes out to the battle. That's the setting, right? There we have it. Now, he walks out. Goliath looks out and sees this little kid making his way, and he goes, "'Am I a dog that you would send this punk out here after me?' with some sticks in his hands to take me on and how does David respond he's like the God of Israel is going to put you into my hands and I'm going to take your head (laughs) this little kid with a sling and with a shepherd's staff no armor at all now in Israel uh, during this period of time you had your infantry which were like Goliath and like Saul were dressed and uh, then you had You had uh, your cavalry, which were the chariots. And then you had your armament. You had your, uh, what we would kind of use as, we would say were cannons and all of this, but those were the slingers and the bows and arrow people, the archers. And the archers and the slingers were the most important part of the army. Now, this part of this story you need to remember, because a lot of this, when we face our giants in life, we think the giants are so big and so monumental that there is no way we're going to be able to get through them to get to our dream, to get to what God has called us to do. And so we sit on the side of the battle through our whole life and we look down in the Valley of Eli, and we hear the taunts and we hear all the criticism and we never move. But we never for a minute take an inventory to see just what we have in our hand and what has God done in our lives up to that point when we got to that place of facing A giant. Now, yeah, the kid is a shepherd. He's been a shepherd all of his life. But he's an experienced warrior as well. David's not big, but he's fleet of foot. He's used to chasing his sheep, trying to keep them together. He's used to defending them. And he's used to using a sling. Now, a sling is not like a slingshot. It's a long cord with a pouch and smooth stones. And they could wind it up. A good slinger could probably do it six or seven times. Like this, and when he let go of it, it was going about 75, 80 miles per hour when he let go of that rock, when that sling came out, came out of his hand. There's, there are pictures from ancient Israel in those times of slingers hitting birds that were flying in the air and knocking them down. I mean, these guys with slings weren't kids with pink, pink, you know, spitballs. That's, that's not what's going on here, okay? David knew he was good at what he did. Now, he wasn't a giant in anybody's eyes, but he knew what he knew, and he knew how to use what he had. And so he steps out, grabs the sling six or seven times around, lets it go, and if if the giant was within 100 feet, it would have been easy for him to hit the giant right in between the eyes. I actually watched a video of a professor... I guess I should have brought it in here when I was doing the research, but of a professor who had this giant plywood cut out of a like a Goliath, and he was testing it, and he only he only slung one time and hit it, and the rock hit the cutout right in the chin, and he pulled the plywood back, and it was all the way through. The rock was through the plywood. So I want you to know, David is not some defenseless little boy, and at a hundred feet. That rock had the power of a 45-caliber bullet. So all he needed was accuracy, which he had because he was used to using that sling. Again, when you look at David, and you hear the story, you think, "What an underdog was he really an underdog? Are you an underdog? Just because you've got such big giants? Or what do you have in your hand, and what has God done in your life so far? He taunts him, he says, come on out to me, come on out to me. And so David, now why, even why did Goliath say that? Come on out to me. Because he wants to fight hand to hand, right? That's what he wants to do. Well, David's not stupid. You know, he's not going to come out. What David does is he gets back, he gets his sling and he runs straight at him. Like this, until he's within his accuracy range where he can let that rock go. Goliath is, I want you to notice this too in your story, he is led down to the valley floor. He's got an armor bearer. He's got a guy in front of him holding his shield. Now why would a guy Goliath's size have somebody leading him? I mean, he's maybe eight feet tall. He's huge. Why, Why would he do that? Just think for a minute. I mean, he's slow. He can't move around real quick. He's not as big as you think he is. Big as you think he is. He's cumbersome. He can't react quickly. Every bit of his battle is, this, is right here in front of him within a few feet of him. So he wants David to come to him. He misidentifies David. Think of this. He says, Are you, you know, am I a dog that you come to me with what? Sticks. Did David have sticks in his hand? Okay, now what's going on with that? Why did he say that? Why did he think, why did he say, are you coming at me with sticks? What's going on with him? Well, here's what we think this is fascinating. People who are, that have giantism, uh, it's called uh, acromegaly. This is the disease, or it's... Uh, it's a benign tumor that sits on the back of the pituitary gland, and it uh, releases human growth hormone in large amounts. And there's the guy—a picture we have of the world's tallest man, Robert Wadlow. He was eight foot eleven, and he died in his twenties. And uh, so, but there's this gland, the pituitary gland, and so it, is there, there's a tumor pressing up against it that causes it. To release this human growth hormone. Well what happens when a tumor grows right behind your eyes? It affects your optic nerve. Why are you coming to me with sticks in your hands? When he has a long staff and a sling. See if he's a giant. Maybe that tumor's pressing in on that optic nerve. And he can't even see that great at all. Matter of fact. He can't move that great. That's why he has the armor bearer in front of him leading him out into the valley. Your giants aren't as big as you think they are. Your giants are very vulnerable. So David looks out and he uses what he has. He runs out. He smacks him. He goes down. And then he takes him down. Many of you need to get your dreams back this morning. We've talked about the giants of finances over the last eight weeks, the the giants of relational health, mental health, emotional health, physical health, and spiritual health. And today we close it up talking about vocational health. Now, many of you guys have fought other battles just like David. You've got a history in your life. And in your handout today, there are some giants that you're going to have to battle as you make your way to seeing your vision and your dream. And this is your first fill-in. The other giants David had to face, think about your life. The first one was delay. Delay. I mean, First Samuel 17, 12 through 15. But David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Jesse would send David to the front. David would get to see what was setting up, and then his dad would call him back. David would be sent up to the front with a care package. And then his brothers would taunt him and what are you doing up here, you punk kid? You're just coming up here to make fun of us? And then he would go back to his dad. Then he would go out through the sheep, go back to his dad, go back to the front. Can you imagine going on in, his, in this young warrior's heart, the delay? We have a delay in our lives, oftentimes in seeing our vision come to pass and seeing our dreams come to pass and that giant of a delay can completely sideline us if we're not careful because your delay doesn't mean you're not going to get there you have to slay that delaying power in your life and you have to take hold. sometimes it's because of your gender you don't get the job because you're male or you're or you're female you don't get it there's a giant in your way don't give up don't give up sometimes it's because you you don't have enough money, you think, to start the business that you dream of. And so you wait and you wait and you wait. Don't, don't let the delay stop you from holding on to the, dr- the dream. Sometimes it's the education. I don't know anything. I don't know anything about business. How could I ever start my own business? How could I ever get my family straight? I've been a lousy husband. I've been a lousy wife. How in the world could I ever do this? And so the delay in it just sets you back. And it is a giant that has to be slain. It has to be dealt with. There are all kinds of issues with delays in our life. They are indeed giants. Secondly, there's the giant of discouragement. In 1 Samuel 17, 8 through 10, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, you will become our subjects. If I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects in service. On hearing... The Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were demayed and terrified. Forty days, eighty times you're taunted. Can you imagine how discouraged that is? Forty days, eighty times someone tells you, you cannot do it. Who do you think you are? You cannot do it. You couldn't possibly pull that off. There's no way you can do it. You're too old. You're too young. You know what? Everything those experienced soldiers said to David was wrong. (laughs) Everything they told him. Everything Saul told him, wrong. Everything his brothers told him, wrong. The fear his dad had of his son getting there, that was part of the delay, is that he loved his son and didn't want to put him in a position of being hurt, right? That can be a delay. People that love you don't want you to put yourself on the line and get out there and go for what you feel like God has for you. They love you too much to see you fail. And so there's a delay in that, and there's discouragement in it. That's a giant that has to be slain. Um, a few, uh, well, I guess a year or two ago, Paul Alverson, one of our elders here, Paul and Obia, they have two children, uh, and uh, he brought me a drawing, or he told me about Aidan and Rhea making a drawing. Now, they are what six eight years old maybe now, but when they drew it, they were younger than that. I want to put that picture up. You know what this is? um, This is a picture of a school. Did did I have it? Did I even send it to you? (laughs) But they drew out for me a church plant for preschoolers. (laughs) I didn't ask them to do that. I didn't ask them. Paul says, Hey, they've they've got an idea. They heard you talking about church planting, and so they drew a picture of it. They have their play area. They have all of this. And so I asked Aiden. I said, Aiden, where are you going to put your church plant? He was six years old then, I guess. He says, there's a restaurant out of business right down the street in Surfside. It'll work great. And I said, well, tell me about your church plant. What's it going to be like? He said, no adults allowed except for one teacher. (laughs) I mean, who knows? You know what? I hope I live long enough to see something like that. Nobody should go to him and go, oh, man, you can't do a preschool church. You're six years old. You're seven years old. You're eight years old. You can't do that. But there's discouragement in all around us many times from the vision that God has given us. You know, negative people will... Rob you of everything you have. And I know we're to love everybody, but if you've got somebody that's in your life that is constantly negative, I would subtract myself from that relationship. (laughs) Now, I'm not talking if you're married to them, (laughs) but I'm talking about as a friend, (laughs) because I know what you're thinking, all right. You you just got to work on that addition there, you know, you got to turn that minus sign around. But negativity will rob you and discourage you to the point that you'll just give up. So don't let him get to you. David didn't. David looked out there and he said, I can take this fool. You know, <laughs> I can take him down. And everybody else is looking at him like, no, you can't. You're just a kid. All you got is a sling, a staff chasing some sheep. That's all you've been doing. That's not all he's been doing. Thirdly, there's the giant of disapproval. 1 Samuel 17, 28 through 29, the giant of disapproval. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, this is his, biggest, his big brother, why have you come down here and with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Well, let me ask you this what battle there is no battle going on and that was david's point right and, but the i think the brother like i grew up with all brothers right i'm the oldest yay but uh you know i know what it's like how the competition is with brothers i know what that's like and they see the little punk shepherd favorite of their dad coming up with care packages Criticizing and going back and coming back. Well, they can't stand it because they can't take themselves. It reveals their own heart. It reveals the fact that they won't step into a vision. And they won't take care of the giant either. So, I mean, the little brother is like exposing all of their weaknesses to themselves. And so there's discouragement. David doesn't even get the support of his dad, of his brothers, of King Saul. He has no one supporting him but his belief in God that God wants something done about this. That's all he has. Disapproval. Don't let the giants of disapproval rob you. Don't let it happen. People will, who do you think you are? You don't have enough this. You don't have enough that. Don't let anybody rob you and judge you. When we started this church, I had two very close friends who attacked me big time for starting a church. And uh, I'll have to tell you, it hurt. It was, it was discouraging. And, uh, and, but you know what happened? We chugged on, here we are, and they came around, took me out to lunch, asked me to forgive them, and then blessed this church with an offering. <laughs> Praise the Lord, you know. So when you have a vision, and when you have a dream for your life, Don't let the discouragement and the naysayers rob you of pushing on through. You hang in there. Let the size of God determine the size of your goal, of your vision, of your dream, not other people's voices. Don't do that. And fourthly, the giant that has to be slain is doubt. Doubt. 1 Samuel 17, 32 through 33, David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. I love this. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man. You're only six years old. And you have a dream for a preschool church plant. You're only a single person. How could you ever do this with your life? You're only. You're only a young man. Goliath has been a warrior from his youth. Big question, am am I up to the task? And how many times do all of us hit that question, whatever we do, whether it's being a parent, a business owner, an employee, employer, serving in the church, being responsible for some ministry or a small group or whatever you're doing, that question, am I up to this? That doubt is a giant that has to be slain. He has to be dealt with. And we're going to talk next about how to slay them. But you will hear people and you'll hear yourselves going, I'm too poor. I'm not good looking enough. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too dumb. You know, I'm too this, I'm too that. I'm not enough of this. I'm not enough of that. All of that doubt, all of that doubt is a giant that can and must be slain for you to reach your dreams and your visions. So how do we defeat the giants? These are your last four in Uh, Four fill ins. How do we defeat the giants? Your first one is this recall how God has helped you in the past. The first thing you want to do is take a little trip back. Look back in your mind. If you journal, man, what a wonderful thing to do. Go back and start writing out where God came through for you. Remember. What he has done. Write it down. I was at a point where I didn't think I would make it, but God came through. How has God come through for you? How has he helped you in the past? David goes in 34th verse and 37th verse, The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. In other words, I have fought a bear as a shepherd and I killed him with my bare hands. I have fought a lion and I grabbed him by his hair and I killed him with my bare hands. Nobody saw it but me. I was the only one there, but God enabled me to do this. There are some victories in your life that you have won that you're the only one that knows about them. You're the only one. Don't forget those times. Recall those times. Write them down. You'll feel your faith beginning to build And the dream will start flaming back up, coming back up again. You have those but God moments? You know, I didn't think I was going to make it but God. But God, but God. Don't let go of the but God moments. Because that is what will give you the energy to know you can get through the next phase if you're doing it for God's glory. Don't forget them. Secondly, use what God has given you now use what god has put in your hands right now. First Samuel 17:40 he then took his staff in his hands, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag and with his sling in his hand approached the Philistine. He went with what he knew. He didn't put somebody else's armor on, he didn't try to do it someone else's way. When he reached when he got on his knees and picked up those rocks out of the valley of Eli, Elah, Elah, you know what he picked up? Barium sulfate rock. You know what barium sulfate rock is? Twice the density of normal rock. I can see David looking down, down, looking back up, <laughs> looking back up at, at Goliath going, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and he reached down and he goes, well, if I miss with the first, second, third, fourth, I got a fifth one. You know, he puts five smooth rocks of barium sulfate because he knew rocks because he knew what kind of weapons he needed. He knew, he knew what kind of uh, ammunition he needed. And it was there for him. He used what he had. He used his sling and he used the material that God had provided for him right at the moment. So you don't go around waiting and going, well, when I get this, when I get that. uh, You know, you use what you have right now to step back into the vision right now. What do you have in your hand? Gideon, when he was found hiding out in the wine press, the angel told him, go in the strength you have. I mean, Gideon goes, man, my tribe is like the most pitiful tribe in all of Israel. We are the weaklings of Israel. I can't go and do this. And The angel says, go in the strength that you have. You don't have to have what you don't have. You only need to go in what you have. So look around. Look in your hands. Look around your house. Look in your mind. Look and see what you have. Take that and use it. Don't be robbed. I mean... Jesus had a few loaves and, you know, fishes, right? They sure went a long ways. What if he had just said, well, we don't have enough? (laughs) There have been a lot of hungry people, and we wouldn't have had that great story. But he took what he had, and God multiplied it. Take what you have and go. Ecclesiastes 11.4 says, If you wait for perfect conditions, you will never get anything done. Ecclesiastes 11.4. Thirdly, ignore the dream busters. Ignore the dream busters. 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. This was a few chapters later. Each one was bitter in spirit because of their sons and daughters, but David found strength in the Lord his God. There are going to be times when the only positive voice you will have in your ear is your own. Everyone around you, if you're going to do something for God, Every, everyone around you at some point will probably be telling you why you can't pull this off. What are you going to do when that happens? Ignore them and encourage yourself. Another version of this scripture says, David encouraged himself in the Lord. He went to God. He said, God, I believe you called me to do this. But people are mad at me right now. They don't like the way I've been leading. They don't like the way I've been doing this. Strengthen me. Help me not bail out. Help me not quit as I pursue the vision and the dream that you have for me. And I'm not talking about just being positive. I'm talking about really get before God and ask Him to encourage you. Lastly, the fourth one, to slay the giants. Expect God to help you for His glory. Expect God to help you for His glory. What you are doing, if you're a follower of Jesus... Your dream should have this component of it will it will give glory to God whatever you do and it's okay to expect God to come through expect him to step up as you step out expect him to do it first Samuel 17:45 you come against me with sword and spear and javelin But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Oh, man. Be ready to go then. And I love he says our hands. He doesn't say my hands. He says, this is for the whole army of Israel and for you, God. This is going to give you glory because Israel is going to see that you are with us. So expect God to step up. Expect Him to come through in your marriage, in your relationships, with your business, in the church. Expect Him to step up. So here's how we kill the giants. Just to recap. We recall how God has helped us in the past. We use what God has given us. We ignore the dream busters. We encourage ourselves in the Lord and then we expect God to come through and help us. Now I want to pray and what I'm going to do is I want you to let me know there's a dream that you had or you have. That needs to come back to life. Okay. So let's just close our eyes for a moment. Holy Spirit. Would you come and awaken. The plans. The wonderful plans you have. For our lives. I pray for the excitement once again. In the hearts of everyone here. Who at one time had this dream. I pray now it will begin to flame up, Lord. Come to life. In Jesus' name, show up now, Lord, here with us. Encourage us today, Lord, that we are not alone. And that you give dreams and you give visions and you want to make yourself strong in our lives and show us and others that you are here and that you work through Little shepherd boys, little shepherd girls who have the experience already in their lives to go and do bigger things than what they've ever done before. So would you just lift your hand up right now while we're praying and say, that's me. I got a dream. I have a vision. I have something that's... Okay, Lord, you see these hands. We're lifting them up before you. Holy Spirit, would you come right now? Come right now, Holy Spirit. Throw the dirt off the grave of that vision. Lord, just uncover it. Just dig the dirt off of it. Come out of that grave. Come out of that grave and stand up, vision of God. Stand up. Shake off the grave clothes. Stand up. Shine. Shine. Shine.